I'm Army Hammer. <laughs> I like to fight and nail. Shout out to my boy, Liam Neeson. Oh, Commuter? And The Commuter, yeah. which I haven't seen yet. Mm. And it looks like it's going to be very mediocre, but I am here for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it looks terrible. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the critically acclaimed drama, which is Call Me By Your Name, starring Timothée Chalamet and Army Hammer. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 138 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along today hey, with... Hey, that's not your name? No? No. What is it? Call me by your name, and I'll call you by yours. Oh. Uh-oh, did I just give something away? Not really, no. Oh, okay. Uh, the film we are talking about, that is Nick Cheney, by the way. Mm. How you doing? From the other side of the room. That's right, all the way. Mm-hmm. Can't we, like, be at the same table, though? I feel awkward. Well, you know, need to keep our distance with this. Also, why am I wearing handcuffs? Oh. Oh, okay. That third. Why am I wearing handcuffs? The third. Uh... Who are we whispering for? I, you started it, man. <laughs> That third Fifty Shades of Grey movie is coming out, and that looks like a real winner. First of all, can I just talk about that really quick? I have some thoughts. I um, I gotta say, I love that trailer. <clears throat> like, I have no desire to see that movie, but man, that trailer has it all. It has a very fast and furious like car chase scene. Um, I say that meaning like I would not be surprised if somehow they Justin Lin just sat in on on the set. For that day of show, like it is so hilariously uh, out of place, yeah, out of place <laughs> and supercharged. Uh, and um, also, I love that that movie's trailer opens up with "Hi, husband, hi, wife." <laughs> like, oh, okay. So anyway, I just I kind of love it. Do you though? You kind of, yeah. yeah. You know, it says a lot that I haven't seen any of these movies for someone like me who likes to watch a bad movies. B, erotica, mm-hmm. uh, and C, both of those things combined. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but see, here's the thing. They think this is a... That, that's the difference between this and, like, an exploitation film. True. Is they think that they're making some great piece of art here. I mean, I, I'm, I'm... No, but a great piece a of, uh, shall we say, they're, sex filmmaking. And they're spending yeah. money on these, right, too. So right. it's not like something right. that they comes along. They are getting that, yeah. actors and actresses who I'm not saying are great, even though I do quite enjoy Dakota Johnson, mm-hmm. um, but that are trying to sell this rather than just trying to sell sex. Speaking of Dakota Johnson, yeah, she, what about was, her? she was in uh, the filmmaker of today's film we were reviewing. Hell yeah, she was. His last film, yeah. and the filmmaker I'm referring to is Luca 
Guadagnino. Guadagnino. Thank you, Nick. You're uh, his last film, which came out two years ago, called A Bigger Splash, yep. uh, which I have not seen. Nick, you've seen I that. haven't. Oh, you haven't? Actually, I wanted oh. to, but I never actually got around to it. And I've heard mixed things about it. Yeah, uh, the people I like mm-hmm. at least had some decent things to say about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the very least, saying that uh, Tilda Swinton and Ray Fiennes were fantastic in it. Yeah. And Dakota Johnson can and she, yeah. is there. She is. Uh, but... His new film, uh, yep. an me... even bigger splash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh. His new film, "Call Me by Your Name," uh, has gotten critically acclaimed, fantastic reviews from basically everyone who's seen it, except Mike Pence. Well, you know he's just a hateful person, so that may be why he doesn't like it. That's true. And we're going to get to this film uh, in a little bit, and Army Hammer. Yeah, Army <laughs> Hammer. What a name. Yeah. He's come a long way from uh, the Facebook movie. I'm Navy Screwdriver. Okay. Before we get there, though, uh, this is the first episode we are recording in 2018. Yep. And um, 2017, I feel like, was, at least for me, a pretty solid year for movies. I feel like there were quite a few... Very positive ratings I gave films. More I, than the previous two years, I felt like. I agree. I looked on Letterboxd, mm-hmm. and I looked at the movies I've seen since been on, since I've been on Letterboxd, uh, which is, was from two thir- 2013 and on, and this is easily my favorite bunch of movies that I've seen since 2014. Yeah, there was a good... I think that that's the one yeah. I always go back. That was a really good year for films. Yeah. Uh, but the last two have been eh, up and down. Yeah, like the highs were high and the lows were really. Whereas here, like I liked Justice League this year. Mm-hmm. Not I didn't like it that much, but like I was basically just continually surprised this year, which is in a, a lot of thing. ways more rewarding than just seeing a movie you like. Right, or <clears throat> going into it with sky high expectations and yep. ending up going to see that last Fantastic Four movie. Uh, yes, so, that was my mistake. Well, did you actually see that? No, but I had sky high expectations. For <laughs> never, never saw it. Never want to see it. <laughs> when the reviews came out, I just said no. <laughs> so we are going to discuss uh, 2017 a little more in depth uh, on an episode, probably a month from now or so. Yeah, or as I call it, post pant uh, pant <laughs> post. Although that'd be kind of a great name for it, Pantom Thread. <laughs> Post-Pantom Threads. Phantom okay. Thread. Yeah. Because I can't do a film year unless I've seen the latest PTA movie. Yeah, and I want to see that as well. I mean, there's a couple other films that I might want to see that are from 2017 still, but yeah. pretty much seen. Jumanji. Yeah, well, you yeah. hit the hit the nail on the head there. Well, I'm Army Hammer. <laughs> Marmy Hammer? Marmy. Marnie Hammer? Oh, boy, we're going to, we're going to a bad place here. Uh-oh. So coming up in twenty, 20- let's go back to NBC's The Good Place. Let's go to twenty eighteen, <laughs> just for a little bit to just throw out some names of films that are coming up and um, get our initial thoughts on what they may or may not be. Do you I mean, want to do this like a Rorschach test? Like you say a title and then I just give a one word answer. Not really. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that's what mm-hmm. we weren't doing. We're not doing that. Okay. We're definitely not doing that. 2019. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it seems like the general feel I get from reading 
some initial thoughts of 2018 are that people are feeling like it's the beginning of the end. Is it? It's just stuffed with a lot of crap that people don't really care about other than maybe the Avengers film. And even that's like got the silly looking Thanos who looks like the thumb and um, you've got the Jurassic world film, which I think looks entertaining. You lied to me. What's that? Cause I thought the trailer looked really stupid. Oh, okay. Well see, that's the difference between you and me. I have taste and you don't. I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying <laughs> you lied to me. I didn't lie to you. I thought it looked great. At any rate, so there are some films coming out early in the year and then throughout the rest of the summer and late next year that I think everybody's somewhat interested in, or maybe just we are, or maybe nobody is. Yeah. So let's uh, talk about a few of them, at least. Uh, Can I talk about the first one chronologically? Sure. Gotta shout out to my boy, Liam Neeson. Oh, Commuter? In The Commuter, yeah. which I haven't seen yet, mm. and it looks like it's going to be very mediocre, but I am here for it. Because I love, uh, what is his name, John Calesara and yeah. Liam Neeson retreading on that Hitchcock cock. <laughs> I think it looks terrible. Hey. I think it looks worse than one of the Hey, you got Movie sequels. Pass for Christmas, so you're going to see it. I probably am. Okay. I'll probably see a lot of movies this year. Hey. I already saw a lot of movies True. in previous years. So. Okay. Yeah, um... I've got really nothing more to say about it. No, I mean, neither do I. But I want it known. (laughs) That it's coming out. That it's coming out and that I am a fan. Yeah. Well, luckily... I feel like that's like a little known fact about me. You know, for all the shit that I heal on a lot of these blockbusters, I will never say no to a uh, Joan Colesara uh, thriller. Which, by the way, you still have to watch The Shallows. Because I know you don't like uh, his Liam Neeson stuff, so to speak. Mm. Which is completely understandable. Um, I like the... uh is really good. He's made two of them so far with Liam Neeson, right? He's made three, I think. Um, Unknown? Mm-hmm. I guess three, including The Commuter. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. Because the one with the airplanes we saw in the Not theater... Stop. Nonstop. Which is wonderful. Yeah, that was entertaining. It is. Yeah. It's great. So coming it's out... It's unfortunate, sorry, really quick... Yeah. ...that uh, Nate Parker's in it. But he plays the villain, so... <laughs> Yeah, he hasn't been around since uh, all that came since out. Since nonstop. Hey, he was ahead of his time, by the way. He got the rape shit out of the way beforehand. Yeah. Before the shit storm. You know, it's weird, though. Not weird, but, like, that's that's um, that's um an interesting... Because at that time, like, you know, there was a lot of people coming out. Like, I think it was... Was it Reverend Al Sharpton or Jesse Jackson? Now I'm getting racist because I don't know which one, but... It was one of the figureheads of, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> black people. Well, I, yeah. So now I just don't know how to sound racist because I'm just blanking on what I want to say. But, um, but one of them came out and said something along the lines of Nate Parker is only being persecuted because he's black, which is a lot to unpack because as we're seeing now, like, there, there may be some truth to the idea as to why he was punished and why, at that time, like Casey Affleck wasn't, you know, and whatnot. Um, yeah, Casey Affleck won won an Oscar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, like, but also Boy, on the other hand, gonna be, man, I am. I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent yeah, here, yeah. but I'm so excited for the Oscars. Oh, because yeah. he's got a handout best leading actress this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think they'll go through with that? 
I mean, I know that's the tradition, it's but breaking tradition. Uh, well, they already broke with tradition in a, in a few ways with um, cutting uh, Harvey Weinstein and a few others out of the actual academy organization. Like, yeah. and I'm not saying that that means that now they're a good organization, but I I don't know. I could see them somehow subverting expectations because that is the topic mm-hmm. of the year. Is not Casey, but. Uh, sexual do you think that? Do you think it would overshadow the winner? Then I think it wouldn't overshadow it as much as him going up on stage and giving it to a woman. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that's already like going to be talked about if it mm-hmm. happens. So you might as well do the right thing. What is the right thing, though? Uh, the right thing is probably to say, Casey, I'm sorry, but uh, you're not on the list. So who who like I'm just no t- I I don't know and to be honest with the whole Casey Affleck thing uh, you know every, as far as I know I thought that stuff was like basically taken care of in court maybe it was maybe it wasn't maybe that doesn't matter like it it doesn't in the long run but um, but also let's just further clarify that I mean I, what happened with Nate Barker was a man pretending he did absolutely nothing wrong yeah and. Not an A hiding behind his children, God, and his family to basically say I, uh, a woman killed herself for no reason. Yeah, uh, you know, like the, I, I'm sorry, but that was just like I'm not. I'm not trying bottom, to bottom. No, not you. To compare but, them, but, but the bottom of the barrel as far as yeah, um, it wasn't. He's he's yeah. To think of where he was because yeah. we'll always have Sundance in 2016 yeah, with uh, him pretty much being the toast of. Yeah, film festival, and it was interesting that he wasn't there. Well, he wasn't there for the I know, but it, showing like the showing we saw, but yeah, right. But for you know, no offense, but I can't imagine Nate Parker. I mean, you know, like I understand Dude, why he thought he was big shit at that point. I guess so, but um, <laughs> that was his show. Like uh, it wasn't his premiere, but that was his celebratory screening yeah. where uh, we were literally watching not Birth of a Nation, but. The best, you know, as voted by the final showing of the entire festival of any movie, (laughs) right? And his producer could stay behind, but he couldn't. That just strikes me as like I need to spend as little time as possible uh, with journalists. But anyway, could be. Um, But yeah, for me at least, thinking a little more on the Casey Affleck thing, um, you know what? The Academy gave him the award last year, so I feel like they got to suck it up and just we'll see. So yeah, yeah it. I think it'll be more of a. Th- I think I'm not sure if it'll be more of a thing if he if they go through with it or if they pull him out of it because then it's like, like he won, but then he can't give the award for next year. Well, which, I, I, mean, I mean, here's it's, the thing: is though, why should that matter? As far as it like, shouldn't, but it's know, like, but it's it's. Again, I'm not saying it's not hypocritical, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they're not denying him. They're just saying you don't have to come to work. <laughs> yeah. It feels like denied to me a little bit. I don't think Casey would see it that way. I think he'd okay. be like, oh, okay, cool. I don't have to dress up. Which is fine. Then maybe it just takes care of itself. <clears throat> they could just have Daniel Day-Lewis do it or something. I don't just have Ben go up there. See, I was, I was going to say that. Because that would be great. He'll say he's, also, he's also a womanizer, yeah. so that's perfect. And he'll say something <laughs> stupid. Like, did you see that wonderful picture of Ben and the rest of the Justice League behind him? And it's a literal snapshot of when he made a very stupid joke on a press junket, and everybody behind him is reacting to his joke in like very uh, various like um, 
uncomfortable or awkward or just like looking whatever when he said something when they said something like the the interviewer said something like do you agree that there should be more female superheroes and then he said something like well have you seen the news lately and then like everybody behind him was just kind of like uh what <laughs> so yeah Anyway. So moving on yeah. uh, to the next film that I was going to mention, oh, yeah. which is whatever the new Cloverfield film is going to be called. Which got moved to April. I heard it got moved again. Oh, I'm did not, it? Yeah. It was supposed to come out in like January, February. Yeah. And now it's April and now it might be like later. Oh. So. It only just got moved to April like two, two days, days ago. Two days ago. Yeah. yeah. I, know, I know. I read another story Jesus. about today. That's not good. Um, I was not a fan of 10 Cloverfield Lane. <clears throat> I I, we had a whole discussion about it yeah. on an episode talking about it, but I'm fine with this getting pushed back because I don't intend to see it. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Um, and I'm with you in the sense that I wasn't a fan of 10 Cloverfield Lane, but uh, like we said in the episode, I'm excited for the prospect of more adventures. And I read the synopsis, and I was very on board for that. Log, yeah, now, we, now that we know what the series is going to be, go for i mean i feel like i've got a better grasp on it so maybe i would actually enjoy it more yeah. um but we'll see it getting pushed back multiple times never good uh looking on to the next film and that would be the first marvel release of the year which is black panther mm. which i probably wouldn't be as on board for but because ryan coogler is directing it and he has yet to make something i didn't like i feel like i'm definitely going to see it and probably enjoy it yeah yeah me too. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Hey, if you enjoy uh, a Marvel film, that's they've done something. Because uh, those films are not for you. No. Uh, which means I might not like this. <laughs> but um, Ryan Coogler, let's see, it's Creed, right? Yeah. Which was, like I thought, pretty great. Yeah. I loved uh, Straight Outta Compton. That was him, right? Mm. No. Am I thinking of a different black person? Oh, boy. I think so. Oh, boy. What am I thinking of? I don't know. This is embarrassing. Oh, I remember. Yeah, F. Gary Gray. Oh, yeah, there you go. Never mind. Well, his... his. What else has Brian Coogler done? Big announcement was Fruitvale Station. Oh, I didn't like that movie. That's too bad. Whoops. Okay, I'm not excited for Black Panther anymore. <laughs> but you like Creed. I did, and I don't like Rocky, so maybe he's okay. <laughs> so, uh, probably the first film that man i'm racist us yes we this has been a very because i need to come back the first it's hard to really quick <laughs> it's hard to differentiate not between black people but between all these people who are making the jump so quickly to marvel movies like their background just immediately like i forget already that colin trevorrow made safety not guaranteed um, because now he's just known as the laughing stock, you know. But like these are seriously horrible career moves sometimes. Because, uh, and I'm not saying it is for Ryan, but um, like that's just such a big decision that people don't realize that as much as it can very easily propel your career, you could also lose a million fans very quickly. And I don't mean like I was like a Colin Trevorrow fan, but I remember seeing Safe Neck Guarantee goes, oh, I can't wait to see the next movie he does. And now it's like, I probably like don't even want to rewatch Safety Not Guaranteed, uh, all because of these ridiculous fiascos that have just happened in his wake. And I probably, at the end of the day, don't think he's that bad of a director, but like, you know, why, yeah, but for, why make that leap? For every Taika Waititi, there's yeah. 
10 to 15 of Colin Trevorrow yeah, or, or the guy who directed Fantastic Four, whose yeah, career pretty Josh much Trank. pretty much got ruined because yeah. he was supposed to direct Rogue One and got. Yeah. Although, if you're if you're ever directing, Rogue One or yeah, oh, he was supposed yeah. to. I forgot about that. If you're directing anything for Disney, you just better just not direct anything in between then and now. And a movie, just, just don't do anything. A movie that I think we both enjoy, not love, but enjoyed. Um, no offense, but in no way. Did I think, oh, okay, I can't wait for their next Marvel movie with uh, Mississippi Grind. Uh, and they're doing, what, Captain Marvel with Brie Larson? Mm. Uh, I, that's, I, I just don't understand. What is with this weird Sundance circuit? I mean, who saw Mississippi Grind? Very few people. Yeah. It didn't come to any theaters, even no, the I really had to wait to indie f- theaters Blu-ray around here. And, yeah. Yeah, so. I remember we watched it together. We did, yeah. and I enjoyed it, but nothing about that made me think, like, I just I was like, oh, I can't wait to well, see them grow. Two and... things. Two things. One, trying to get the flavor of the moment. Two, trying to find someone who's cheap. Yeah, and you know the other thing about that I was thinking about for Captain Marvel and them is that because they're I think husband and wife, um were they trying to get a female but like also didn't want to fully commit? Like I know that sounds horrible, but it's not like they're really committing uh anywhere else. I mean, so I, in terms of female directors in superhero films, the only person person to actually like make a move has been Patty Jenkins, right? Yeah. And if people didn't like Wonder Woman, they yeah. would have just scoffed at that. Yeah, they would have blamed her probably right. for it. It would have set so, back a lot for yeah. for no good reason, right? I mean, but it's because yeah. it, there are plenty of movies that people plan to be good and they just aren't, right? Um, but I'm glad that that was good. It's one of my favorite films of this last year. But yeah. the fact that now maybe there will be more female directors because that did well is kind of silly. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, as I was saying, the first film of this uh, coming year that I know we're going to end up doing an episode on and that everyone's excited about uh, is the new Alex Garland film, Annihilation, which comes out at the end of February. I don't know if I'm excited about it. No? No. Not, not, every, not every even time coming I, off of Ex Machina? N- no, like, coming off of Ex Machina, I was. Nothing I've read about the movie and seen from the trailer seems like it's really my kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It seems, I don't know, I, I, like, I'm not, I, I'm very indifferent to it. I can't wait to go see it and see what I think about it, but... Um, so this, you're at least interested to see it. Interested, right? yes, okay. but uh, very cautiously so, because it doesn't really sound like something I'm into, so to speak. I enjoy the trailer, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if it'll be any good. Yeah. I, I hope it is, because I really want his career to take off. Yeah. The but, fact that they're based on it's based on a book, which is part of a series, worries me, because then I'm just afraid he's not writing... Like even if he has no plans to do sequels or anything, like he's not writing a very closed loop story, like something like Ex Machina, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's, so I don't know. Anyway, so coming out in March, uh, Francis Lawrence is pushing his way back to the big screen as he's been dormant ever since the end of the Hunger Games. Yeah, and he's getting back together with Jennifer Lawrence, and um, you know maybe they can have a relationship now because she's free. Oh, from uh, what's his name? Darren. Yeah, Darren Aronofsky. That didn't work out. No one saw that coming. Uh, so the film is called Red Sparrow, and it stars her, Joel Edgerton, Jeremy Irons, and Mary Louise Parker. Um, and it looks kind of like a 
different kind of female assassin thriller. Yeah, the trailer worries me a little bit because mm-hmm. the trailer is literally taking the subtext of a lot of female spy movies and just making it the text by saying, oh, these aren't just killers. These are sexy ladies <laughs> who also kill. Well, isn't and, the whole the whole the whole point of like that's the what Red Sparrow with, is right yeah. that they that they they seduce entice men and then right. them. Yeah. which like female spies have been doing that in movies for a long time now. So mm-hmm. the idea that we're cutting out the middleman and putting Jennifer Lawrence in a in very revealing one piece swimsuits and calling her a Red Sparrow is, I guess, intriguing in the way it cuts the bullshit out, but also. Like, does it have anything else to offer? We'll yeah, at see. least Atomic Blonde was somewhat entertaining and fun. Right, and I, like, the action scenes were very entertaining. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and also I, I read an interview with Jennifer Lawrence, and there's nothing wrong with this, especially considering what she's saying as far as what prompted it, but her interviews have seemed to circle around the sex appeal factor of the movie because she said that she would have never done a, or she never wanted to do anything sexy again after. Uh, the leak of some of her images from her mm-hmm. cloud and whatnot, mm-hmm. which I totally sympathize with and whatnot. Um, but the fact that that's her talking point for this movie and not like it's a great script or is is kind of interesting. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, we'll see about all you that. You do you, Jennifer. She she will. Yep. Uh, a film that I know we've seen a trailer for multiple times and is definitely not getting a lot of buzz necessarily, but I'm very interested to see it. Uh, is a film starring Anya Taylor-Joy and Olivia Cook called Thoroughbreds, yeah. which I think looks fantastic. I want to see it very, yeah. very bad. Especially because finally someone's starting to realize how good I think Paul Sparks is. Because mm-hmm. I love Paul Sparks. He's uh, a very annoying slash great character on Boardwalk Empire. I feel like he's a very annoying character in like everything he's <laughs> in. And this looks to be no different, like no. just in a much weirder you know scale. Uh, or not yeah. weirder than Boardwalk Empire, but well, in his normal, because like I know him personally from his stint as a reoccurring character on the season one of the Girlfriend Experience, mm-hmm. where he was just playing the biggest asshole ever, and but like a madman as far as like in a suit day by like attorney whatnot. Um, but yeah, I, I think he was just in something too that I watched, and I thought he was good in that. So yeah. I, I really think he should be murdered in more things. <laughs> also. Uh... I don't know if it's his last film, but Anton Yelchin is in this. Yes, so. it is supposed to be the last one that will ever be released. Cause mm. It was technically, I feel like it was filmed three years ago. Okay. Well, I mean, a it had to have been obviously some, well, but it was, it was it was a shelved movie okay. even before his death. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like they were gonna jump the gun and then get it in whatever, and then they had to delay it for whatever reasons. Um, so yeah, this was supposed to be released while he was still alive. Hmm. Yeah. But the trailer at least looks quite interesting because the idea of one friend having whatever issues she has and the other friend being a pretty much textbook sociopath yeah the um, one has too many emotions and the other one has no emotions right what they say in the trailer yeah um and anya taylor joy who's pretty much been good ish in every film at least every film i've seen that she's been in has been good so that's that's not. That's a good thing to say for her. Yeah. And speaking of her, she's going to be in the uh, the new mutants later in the year. Which who knows what the fuck that's going to be. I'm excited. 
It could be awful, yeah, could but at be. least it's going to be something different. It is, and once again, it's my favorite superhero franchise, just the X-Men in general, mm-hmm. and it's now they're doing a horror movie. Like They couldn't be trying harder to at least getting me to the theater to check the next one out. Basically. Yeah, and... Speaking of that, I really enjoy that trailer. I think it's actually really interesting just because there's no mention throughout the entire trailer if there's going to be any moments with them using their superpowers or if they're just going to be trapped in this, you know, almost like it feels like the place where they kept all the children in Logan, but they're now teenagers slash adults. So think about that. Yep. So we'll see, uh, but it's I'm I'm intrigued about that too. So Thoroughbreds and New Mutants looks looks I, I'm on board for both of them. Me too. Uh, the the Tomb Raider movie that doesn't look good, does it? No, but I'm gonna go see it. Yeah, because Walton Goggins. Is I was gonna say <laughs> you're you're a fan of Wally. You shouldn't have come here, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah. I'll, you know what? I'll admit this. Mm-hmm. From the trailer alone, I will say the action doesn't look bad, um, for me at least. We've like seen I, this before, though. I'm not saying you haven't seen it before. But... I'm not saying just uh, the whole story is just kind of... Oh, the story for sure. <laughs> um, but I was getting a kick out of, just from the trailer, how much mileage they were getting out of what I would call video game physics. Like... <laughs> I'm just saying, but like when you see her jump out of the boat into the water in slow motion, that looks exactly like what that 3D sprite used to look like when she made long jumps, you know. So I kind of like the idea that instead of trying to make it a live action realistic take, like it seems like they're doing the cartoonish. Because like Angelina Jolie, that was supposed to, like, that was way more grounded, quote unquote, than what this looks to be, which. Um, that was during the National Treasure craze where yeah. they were trying to, like, whatever. Uh, but here it looks like, yeah, put her in, you know, due to the character, a skimpy mm-hmm. tank top, have her jump lengths that no human can, and watch her blow shit up. And you know what? I'll, I'll probably go see it mostly because of Walton Goggins. And if I end up liking it, that would be a plus. Yeah. Speaking of uh, what you just, uh, the comedy you just made about Alicia Vikander and her, her tight top. Uh, I feel like her character actually, to me, resembles more like Indiana Jones than she does of Laura Croft in I mean, the video games. I know what Laura Croft was. I mean... She was an adventurer. For, like, it wasn't a first-person shooter. You were following. No, I know. But I, I guess I'm more referring to Laura Croft from the video games, Angelina Jolie having large breasts, small, yeah. tight shorts, and here it's more uh, less revealing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just flashing back to me as like a 12-year-old, oh. I think, uh, renting the first Tomb Raider movie at a mm-hmm. blockbuster mm-hmm. when I was in Arizona. I Clearly, I have a very vivid memory of this. Yeah. And I only laugh because there's the shower scene where you basically see side boob. Mm-hmm. But what's great about that scene is that her butler is just able to come in there and then, like, give her her towel. And then as he's walking out, still kind of, like, smile and be like... Good night, Mrs. Croft, and and it's just really creepy because I couldn't tell even to this day if like was that just because like he's such a professional that he doesn't even care or like he's not a professional at all. And he, so anyway, just having some weird flashbacks here. Certainly one to think of. We're gonna need to take a break. <laughs> uh, a couple moves that movies I'll mention, but we're not going to talk about really at all. Uh, our Pacific Rim Uprising, which looks fucking awful. And Ready Player One, which the more I see the trailer, the less interested I am. Same. Uh, Isle of Dogs, yeah. new Wes Anderson film. I know you're going to be excited for it. I've 
over time become a Wes Anderson fan, so I will go see it. Uh, even though this doesn't look like my bag, I'm, I'm interested to see what it ends up being. Because I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is very underrated, mm-hmm. it makes me very much wanting to see this. Like, yeah, the trailer itself doesn't like make me go gaga or anything like that. Um, the same way, like, that Grand Budapest trailer. When that dropped, that looked like, oh my god, he's made his masterpiece. And then, I think, thankfully, it made up... Or, um, lived up to that kind of lofty. Mm-hmm. But here, I, I feel like his animated stuff is very hard to condense in like a two-minute snapshot. Uh, but I will admit, I will forever have that, uh, I think Jennifer Jason Lee uh, line of her like stopping the day. Like, I think I've got a crush on you. It's just like so adorable. And yeah. So Wes Anderson. That's what he goes for. It is. Uh, another film that's coming around around that same time, and we're only in April, so we're going to speed this up a little Alrighty. bit. Alrighty. Yeah. So December. Yeah. Uh, a film I'm way excited for, and this isn't really my bag, but this the the trailer for this uh, and the buzz for it has been fantastic. And that's uh, a film called You Were Never Really Here, starring oh, Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. And this just looks awesome. Yep. And I, I'm guessing it's going to be great, um, but... If, if I'm not going to really say much about it, but I will suggest anyone go see the trailer because the trailer is fantastic and this film just looks great. I still haven't even seen the trailer. That's too bad. I'm kind of trying not to now because okay. of how much I read about it. I mm-hmm. already know I want to see it. So at this point, I kind of it'll be one of the rare times where I'd be actually surprised by a movie. But it, at any rate, if if anyone doesn't know anything about this, yep. it's Joaquin Phoenix is playing. Basically, someone who's he's not a hitman. He goes and finds people for the most part. He's you know a not a cop. He's more really more you know gives me a vibe of like somebody like the Equalizer or something yeah, like that. I guess kind of vigilante, yeah, justice. Um, but for the most part, the trailer gives away, and I think it tries to give away that his big mission for the film ends up kind of not going the way he planned it was going to was was planning on it going um and it subverts something on itself so i'm interested to see what it ends up being but but um you know walking phoenix has been has been you know great for this ever since his you know step off the deep end um and um doesn't look like that much is going to change with this so, a couple of uh, big, huge superhero movies coming out uh, around May, uh, including Avengers Infinity War, uh, the Deadpool sequel, and the Han Solo movie. <laughs> yeah. So, those are all just coming out around the same time, which is a terrible idea, because you should spread that out a little oh, bit. It's going to be my hell. Yeah. Because I'm going to go see all three, but yeah. damn it. Yeah. Um, the Avengers film, I think, is going to be really good just because they put so many eggs in that basket. If it's not, then they fucked up big time. That would be weird. Yeah. Um, Solo, we pretty much know the story there. It's been a clusterfuck ever since it started. Man, Ron Howard has really, really uh, got his whole opie shtick. Like, he's just tweeting about it like there's just nothing happened. Just kind of like, oh. Hi, <laughs> didn't see you there. Let yeah. me tell you about Solo. Yeah, well, he's, yeah. He's, he's what they paid for, and not just as a director, but just as a good old boy. Yeah. So, yeah, those are those are a lot of the, the films that are coming out, at least early in the year. And we have other things coming out later next year, including the, uh, the Dark Phoenix X-Men film, which I know almost everybody's excited about, including me. I'm sure you are. I am. 
uh, the Fantastic Beasts sequel, which who knows nope. what the fuck that's going to be. Uh, the second Wreck-It Ralph movie. Uh, nope. Uh, I, I don't Based know. Based on early reports, it sounds kind of horrible. Yeah. I say that as a fan of the first. Uh, the Venom film with Tom Hardy. It's surrounded around a villain. It's still coming out? Yep. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, uh, I expect it to come out in October. Have fun with that. Yeah, I, I don't know. And then the last film I'll mention, because I absolutely love the original, and I know you do too, Nick, uh, and that is the uh, musical about A Star is Born, directed by Bradley Cooper, starring himself and Lady Gaga. Yeah. We uh, To be clear, we like... We love the... The original. The 1954 version. Sorry, I always do that with I that know, film. But technically, <laughs> the the one from the 30s is the original. Yeah. But yes, uh, that they're usually fantastic movies. I don't know about this. I'm certainly interested to go see it. But um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. There's a lot of other stuff that's out there. I mean, it's, it's Bradley really... Cooper directing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. And did oh, one more thing. Yeah, did reports say that they basically switched to like it's Lady Gaga's character that's the indulgent rock star, whatnot. Think so. And like he's the guy who's like the quote unquote Judy Garland esque character trying to keep her. <laughs> we'll, see. I, I, we'll see. I'm not 100 percent sure, but yeah, anyway, I, I think that this coming year is gonna be more like. 2016, 2015, where there's going to be some high highs and low lows. I want to mention two movies, but not talk oh, about them. Okay. Uh, a, The Incredibles 2. I almost mentioned that. My yeah, bad. well, I love The Incredibles. I talked about it as my favorite superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm very excited for number two, especially because they haven't showed us any footage, and I really want them to keep it that way, even though they won't, obviously, closer to, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I am very actually excited for what I call the John Carpenter sanctioned oh, uh, yeah. Halloween uh, sequel to, I guess at this point, is a sequel to... Number two? Um, of the original? Of the original, <laughs> yeah, because John Carpenter wrote the first two movies, only directed the first, but this is taking off and pretending that number three through Whatever. anything... H2O. Uh, right, uh, <laughs> did not happen, and Lori survived, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, And the fact that she's coming back is kind of cool. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying it won't be horrible, but... It might be terrible. It might be, but I'm excited by the fact that it's... Um, the David Gordon Green and or the Jody Hill. It's it's uh, whoever is working with Danny McBride right now because mm. uh, Danny McBride is writing it with I think David Gordon Green. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna double check so that way I don't have to correct myself later. So give me. You probably wouldn't have, but I you mean, know, you know, let's like uh, forgotten this per- conversation took place after five minutes. Sequel. Danny. But yeah, as I was mentioning, yeah, we'll see. We'll see about this year. I, I, I've got an eye on quite a few films that I'm looking forward to, but um, other than, you know, maybe like four or five that I'm really excited for, I feel like it's going to be a lot of, eh, we'll wait and see what the buzz is around this and see if some of these films can live up to expectations. You know, something I know I'm going to go see, but something like Thoroughbreds, which... I don't really know that much about other than what I've liked from the trailer and the plot synopsis. Uh, I'm not really sure, uh, you know, how I'm going to end up feeling about that, where I feel like the last, you know, six months or so, I've been having a good gauge on what I think is going to be good or what is going to be bad. And speaking of, of uh, films that are coming out, well, Nick is still looking, trying to look David Gordon Green. Oh, you so were right. right. Look at yeah. that. 
Uh, the last thing I'll mention before we go to the main review is uh, the sixth Mission Impossible film. Yeah. Which is interesting because uh, the main female is coming back this time. So A lot of people are coming back. I kind of looked at the cast list on IMDb, and it seems mm. like a very rogues gallery of, uh, which they kind of did in the last one with mm. Ving, Ving Rhames coming back. And yeah, few... the only person I think who isn't coming back is Jeremy Renner. Yes, that mm. is, yeah. Yep. So I'm looking forward to it. I feel like that just improves the movie. <laughs> I really enjoyed the last one. So I'm, I I'm, did as well. I just don't think Renner really did much. No. Yeah. I, I wasn't saying because of him. But yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, if you out there have any thoughts on upcoming releases in 2018 or anything that we didn't talk about because there's hundreds upon thousands of movies that are coming out this coming year and we really only hit on maybe like 15 of them, um, send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. So the film we are talking about today is Luca... Guadino? Guadino's Guadina. Call Me By Your Name, a film that has gotten absolutely rave reviews uh, by pretty much everybody who's yep. seen it. Um, and I will admit that most people who've went to go see this are going to see it because they are either interested in the content or because they're into this kind of storytelling that this film is presenting. Uh, but that being said, uh, it's pretty much gotten critical acclaim by... Almost everyone who's went to go see it. Uh, the film stars uh, Timothée Chalamet, as well as Army Hammer, who's probably the biggest name in this. Yeah. Um, in addition to Michael Stolberg, who also is uh, quickly rising up the character actor this is scene. So great. I mean, he's pretty much right in the neighborhood of somebody like Richard Jenkins at this point. He, I will say Michael Stolberg will be the one that I will be most teared up by I think when I see the their montage reel because like yeah certain actors like a Tom Hanks well, you, you know you'd watch something like that and you're like oh he was Woody and Forrest Gump. But, like Michael Stuhlberg you'll watch that and you'll be like oh my god he was in all of my favorite movies as like one of the definite best parts of that movie yeah and other than um, Al Capone, he also played one of the most real character, one of the actual real characters that had the most screen time on Boardwalk Empire, which is Arnold Rothstein, oh. uh, which was a very interesting take on his character, but also very much in the Michael Stolberg uh, vein. Yeah, but definitely a a different feel. Other than maybe the other one that would be outside the box would be his interesting role in the Third Men in Black film. I'm remembering oh. now, but he played a very bizarre character Did there. Did he? Yeah. Don't, don't remember that. Oh, it's something. <clears throat> if you watched it now, you'd be like, oh, no. Oh, boy. Don't go down that path. <laughs> uh, also here are Amira Cesar, who plays uh, Anella, who is Michael Stelberg's wife, and uh, Elo's, uh, Elio, pardon me, Elio's mother. And then also Esther Garel, who plays Marzia, who the is... Gal. Hmm? The gal. The who... gal. She she's she is the other love interest. Yes. Who isn't necessarily a love interest. But maybe she will be, because apparently there's going to be a Call Me By Your Name sequel at some point. What? Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. At least that's oh. there's a plan for it. So God damn it. I I don't know. Because apparently Thanks the... for getting this conversation off on a bad foot. So in the book, um, at least the ending of the film gets a lot more involved in later years after the main yeah. part that we see. So I think at least from... With the whole Hanukkah celebration at the end. 
What are you saying the book does or the movie does? No, the book goes on to like uh, further on in their I lives. Gotcha. I think the movie added the one no, 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 whatever no, no. year later. Or no, whatever. I'm okay. saying the, the, the book goes gotcha. on, at least from what I was reading, goes on. So it, it, as soon as I heard that there were talks of maybe having a sequel, I was like, oh, it's going to be like the Before Midnight films. Great. I mean, if it is, those are three <laughs> of the greatest movies ever made. So go right ahead. <laughs> Um, but I kind of someone's already it. done that, but yeah. that's okay. Well, and also, you have to wait nine years because that's half of what made those movies special. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. I don't think anyone out there has really pounded anyone's door for the sequel. Not no. necessarily because they didn't enjoy this. No, but, but we don't need it. No. So the film centers around northern Italy in 1983 as 17 year old Elio begins a relationship with the visiting Oliver his father's research assistant. He bonds with over emerging sexuality, their Jewish heritage, and the Italian landscape. God, IMDb just kills these. Uh, So, I don't know who wants to go first here, because I know, Nick, you were much more interested in seeing this than I was. Um, So I guess why don't you go first? That makes sense. All righty. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was very interested in seeing this, uh, particularly just because of all the rave reviews that came out, and, um, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was right up my alley when it comes to just being very character-based, but not, in my opinion, in, like, a slow way, but just, I felt like every scene was perfunctory in some manner of trying to tell us more about the characters without always having to have expositionary dialogue, um, I mean, the way, and, you know, we even have... The way he fucks that peach. I mean, let's be real, <laughs> yeah. Um, but also the way, and we even have characters actually repeat this back, which I thought was kind of cute. Uh, but the way Army Hammer touches his shoulder in a scene, like hands in this movies are kind of very important, whether they're both reaching for the same peach or they're both uh, sharing a midnight smoke. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like that that whole thing is like what you can reach out and touch but can't quite speak out loud is, is extremely integral to this entire thing. I will say there were a couple small things I noticed that were showing, not telling. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing was the first time we see... Uh, Elio have his his um, the star of David necklace back yeah. on, uh, which he's in a swimming pool or yep. a pond or something, and it gets stuck in his mouth, and he's just yeah. kind of hanging here. Which um, what I love about that is that you could have just easily just left that and have a way to show the audience, but they show him in water, you know, in the future throughout the film, and he does the exact same thing. Yeah. So it's not like he was just doing that for the cinema. He was right. just doing that it because be- he does that. Came an actual character right. fixation, which, which without the camera zooming in on it, right? Which which I loved because it it's like such a little thing, right? But it made that not just service to the audience saying, yeah. look at them. He put right. the necklace back on. Mm-hmm. No, I absolutely agree. That was uh, one of my favorite little details. Um, I, I mean, this movie in general has a huge uh, oral fixation. Uh, um, um, there are so. I think what I love most about this movie is that I just want to talk about like all the moments. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a movie of moments. And sometimes that could be disastrous as far as like if you don't have a good you know whole, then um, your moments don't mean anything. But here, the whole is 
great and pure. I mean, it's just this love story and about first love and loss. Um, but what makes up something like first love is the moment. So the what I always come back to is like the very good scene, in my opinion, of uh, Elio playing on the piano for Army Hammer's character in which he will not <laughs> play in the manner that Oliver requests until Oliver is basically one foot out the door, which is exactly what their relationship is on both ends, which mm-hmm. is like this uh, admittance of affection and yet only at the last possible second for fear of losing the other. And I, I absolutely love that as uh, just an example of that. And, um, yeah, I thought everything in this movie was pretty much pitch perfect. Like, the casting I thought was fantastic. Michael Schilberg as the father is now one of my favorite cinema dads. I mean, his whole monologue at the end oh, yeah. was, like, even though it, like, eclipses everything he did prior in that movie, like, it still made his entire character. Because uh, I, I liked him before then, but... Man, did that like make me kind of go? Oh, I'm so glad he wasn't like wasted in this movie because he was good up until then. But at least there, I was like, okay, now he's fucking great, and that was like totally worth it. Um, and yeah, there are so many little things I'd love to talk about, but this is just one of those movies where I just like all I can stop thinking about is not the movie itself, but just all those little images uh, uh, that. Uh, yeah, that just flutter around in my head. So something I know that is near and dear to your heart, but the fact that this was a actual film on film and you yeah. could actually see the grain in it is... Yeah. And just in the Italian landscape with the coloring and the lighting as most of this film takes place during the day. Absolutely. Oh, it's just beautiful. Yeah, and you know, it's written by James Ivory, who um, is very famous for all of his uh, romance and melodramas throughout... Uh, I don't know if it started in the 70s, maybe, maybe the 60s, I don't know. But he was, like, the king of that. In fact, he had his own line of movies he called the Ivory Merchant film because it was James Ivory writing, and I think the name uh, Dave Merchant or David Merchant, I don't remember. But they made, like, 20-plus films, and even Criterion, in their early days of DVDs, thought these films were important enough to make their own line that weren't in the Criterion line, but were the Merchant Ivory series. Mm. Uh, the most famous of his movies being A Room with a View, mm. uh, starring Helena Bonham Carter and Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, but they're all very much similar in the sense that they're all these lush landscapes in a foreign land and um, some very desirous love and uh, unfolding. And... This is rumored to be his last script that he'll pen, and it's a great note for him to go out on. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful, especially the way it does. I mean, from what I understand from just looking at his over, he seemed to focus on adult characters, so the fact that his swan song as a writer might be this look back on where it all begins, it's just a great grace note to end on. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, oh, another thing that I that was right up my alley is because I am a huge fan of Sufjan Stevens, the folk singer, uh, so the fact that he composed two original songs, which are very used sparingly. I mean, there's only two songs in this entire movie that's not a score, mm-hmm. and um, but those two songs are magical, and I'm glad that 
Soup John has basically either never said yes to something like this before and waited until this, or just finally someone contacted him because this was a great uh, use of him. So before I uh, give my initial thoughts, I know you absolutely loved the opening credits and the actual closing credits, too. So Yeah, the opening credits, um, you know, it's just rare these days to even get anything that's at least slightly compelling without having to just, like, put up exposition or just, like, get right into your movie but i would say the closing credits in particular uh that i i it's not something i haven't seen before mm. but man that uh close-up angle of him and maybe because we were sitting so close to the screen yeah at that moment made that all the more powerful <laughs> uh because it totally just felt like we couldn't escape the uh you know just sadness and what was on display um but that was just fantastic and i honestly it I would have watched like 10 more minutes of just that, that it was just beautiful. Because you keep, at least for me, you keep waiting for something to happen, but it doesn't. No. And, um, the fact that it's happening technically on, you know, a night of Hanukkah Mm -hmm. too, it's just kind of like that whole epilogue just felt like a short film in a lot of ways with the way we're throughout the entire movie as sunny as can be. Right. And so we're, literally quarantined off this little sliver at the end in which it is now a beautiful winter landscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's in a completely different fashion. Like it, uh, it generally felt like these actors reunited somehow for this Hanukkah special to wrap up loose ends, not literal loose ends, but to, you know, just whatever. Well, the idea of, of he and the rest of his family celebrating Hanukkah when, even though they are still Jewish, uh, he has the They're not really, like, explanation practicing. that they don't really practice yeah. being Jewish. <laughs> yeah, and I, I thought that was great. And But it felt all the more true to how a holiday happens, which is like it's that time of year and you're excited. And then the moment comes and you start to realize that your life is kind of the same and you think that it's not going to change in some way. You know, yeah. it's something about it. Maybe just for waiting for the last day, but it actually comes off as kind of almost sadistic to yeah. for um, Oliver's character to call him on the last day of Hanukkah yeah. to tell him that he's getting married to somebody and yeah. I'm never going to see you again probably. So. Well, I mean, and to be fair, that's all Oliver was trying to prevent from the day one mm-hmm. of them getting together because for the longest time in it, Oliver was kind of doing the right thing and right. saying, like, we can't do this, you know? Cause, and that's, it's, that's a little bit of a weird part of it, too, because they have that moment where he says he, like, tried to, like, give him hints throughout there, which I, I thought was kind of a weird mixed thing. Well, I think so. Oliver was a slight asshole. Like, not like... At his core, he was an evil person or mm-hmm. something like But he is a flirt. And I think the idea was he wanted to have his cake and eat it too. And then when uh, – oh, or Peach. <laughs> and um, and I think the idea that is when, you know, Elio showed genuine interest, it, I don't think he expected that. Like, uh-huh. not that he would be attracted to him, but that he would actually be able to act on it because he's such a young kid. Mm-hmm. Well, not young in a predatory way, but that he's an experienced person in this. So I think he really thought he had all the power in this. And that's what made him even more attracted to him to break his own rules the moment that Elio finally does kind of speak up. And um, the other thing I'll say about that winter epilogue before I throw it back to you Mm -hmm. is that another reason why I think that ending is just absolutely perfect is that it is completely, I don't want to use the word foreshadowed, but it's completely the foundation is laid for it early on in the movie when Elio um, 
is talking to Oliver, maybe? Yeah, Oliver, I think. Yes. It's on their first trip to the city when he says that, what do you do during the summer? Oh, I wait for the winter. Oh, mm-hmm. and then you just wait for the summer. And that is essentially what happens here with regards to his love, which is, you know, he's in it during the summer, but, you know, he wishes it would be winter and that, you know, time would pass and this would continue. Mm-hmm. And then he gets to winter and he realizes how much he would rather be in that situation during the frivolous summer atmosphere where anything can happen. And yeah. So I, I love that, you know, that comes uh, to full fruition, basically. So. Yeah. so this was like, other than maybe Ladybird, this was like the top of my not for me bag of, of this Awards season films that were coming out uh, in December, January. Uh, and I, I'm still interested to see Lady Bird, but I don't know if I'll really like it. Uh, so this film, I was, you know, kind of lukewarm on for the, for, for sure. Um, and I've said this before, but I think a real sign of a really great movie is when people who see it, who this isn't really their bag, still think it's a really good film. And I felt kind of that way with you, Nick, with The Last Jedi, where you still thought yeah. it was pretty good. Um, but Star Wars is definitely not your thing. No. Um, and this falls right into that category for me. Is this everything about this film? I was like, eh. Um, and yet, go to see it in the theater. And even though I feel like the first probably 45 minutes to an hour of this film is a little bit of, I don't even want to say a chore, but it's not necessarily giving you anything that you can chew on. It's just kind of laying out who these people are and why we're watching them. I will say that this movie quote unquote takes it up a notch when their attraction becomes evident, not even when it becomes sexual, but when they are starting to speak in their kind of coded language and gestures. Mm -hmm. Whereas you're right in the sense that you do sit through about a good 40 to 45 minutes of denial and repression and just everyday summer vacation. And looking back on it, on rewatches, I'm sure that'll be a very enjoyable part of the film. But the first time seen in the theater and you're just trying to get engaged with these characters, this is a very character-driven film. Um, it was a little bit hard to get into early on. But once this film kind of reached its peak towards the end... Um, there was a lot here to, to enjoy, and I thought that this was actually just a, a quite marvelous film, even though I didn't absolutely love it. I, I still thought this was a very well-done film. Um, something I always hit on with, with films that I think are, are really good actual films, not just good movies, like action, Marvel, they make good movies, but this is a really good film. A lot of the reasons why are because of uh, the cinematography and... Um, actually something too, that's totally overlooked here probably, but is the production design and the costume design here? Because I actually think a lot of the clothing choices that are made for each specific yeah. character actually works so well. Like just the clothes that, um, Michael Stolberg is wearing, like he looks like a Jewish dad. <laughs> yeah. Especially one that like, um, like, I don't know with the khakis and everything, like one that's kind of posh in a way. Um, I agree with that completely, and um, I was going to say, even like the bathing suits, it's pretty funny because this is both a period piece and just something that kind of takes place in another country. So, you know, it, it's it's very funny to see these actors with a straight face like, like Army Hammer just walking out in quite a form-fitting, you know, suit. Very short shorts. Yeah, which was 
you know, that's what, no, how it yeah. was back then. Right. If not back then, maybe a little earlier. I feel like by then we were kind of, but I think he was just wearing it proud. Oh, well, maybe in Italy it was still yeah, a thing. Yeah, but, but he sold it. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> I wanted but, to reach out and touch that beach. Ooh. Uh, a lot of the, the technical aspects and then the you know things that go beyond the actual film and the story I thought were fantastic here. Go ahead, One dude. more thing. Yep. Sorry, but since we just mentioned it, mm-hmm. Clothes also end up being kind of an important part as it's the one thing that Elio is able to keep. Oh, yeah. Of, the shirt. Uh, of Oliver's, which, whew, that is one of the most sexual gestures I've seen in a long time when it comes to exchanging a, a personal gift mm-hmm. from one person to another. Like, yeah. I, when I saw him wearing it, like, in the next scene, I was like, whew. How about that scene? Let's hit on that really quickly yeah. before I give my uh, actual thoughts. Because that's it. Quite the interesting scene because we see him put the shirt on, and the two actions that happen after that are the girl who he has sex with Mm -hmm. multiple times, actually, in this film, uh, shows up after he's been not talking to her because he's been with Army Hammer for the last few days and he just hasn't been interested, and she asks him, and he gives a very teenage response of I've got nothing. So I'm just going to shrug my shoulders like an (laughs) asshole. And you know what? If you're, if you're not interested in somebody, that's probably fine. Yeah. But boy, he could not have handled that any worse. And it was pitch perfect as far as how that's pretty much handled 90% of the time in that age group. Sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when he uh, when she just asks, are, "Are are you my boyfriend or am I your girlfriend?" and he just kind of says, "I don't know." Yeah, and it's which just... basically like he says it in a way that basically just says no. Right, but but uh, but the non-committal yeah. no is just like yeah. yeah. And then she rides away crying on her bicycle, and then right after that, it's actually his parents who suggest that he and Army Hammer go on this trip yep. uh, together, which. Um, that is one of the better parts of the film. The fact that uh, his parents aren't in on everything that's going on, but they certainly know they what's are going extremely on. encouraging, mm-hmm. which I thought was very refreshing for that time period. I mean they they wrote the characters well enough where I completely bought that they were very not high society but high art mm-hmm. uh, liberal kind of couple. And so I totally bought the idea that they would, you know, be uh, encouraging and trying to have their son flourish in whatever environment he wanted to. Mm-hmm. But man, did I love the way that they were able to do that, but toe the line as parents and not let him in on how much they knew for the sake of just keeping him not embarrassed by his parents. Like, they were right. just, like, great parents. Like, it's kind yeah, of no, rare. That's... that's... <laughs> I mean, and we actually see that multiple times throughout the film. Like, the idea of him, as we see him laying on a couch or a chair in his head in his mother's arms, and she's rubbing his hair and everything. And it's totally normal and not, yeah. like, in an awkward, like, oh, creepy way. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, and that's... The, the parents are one of my one of my more... I guess they're not my favorite part of the film, but, but I really enjoyed the parents' character. I mean, Michael Stolberg is great. Um, and, and the mother, the the woman who plays her, who I'm just totally whiffing on her name now, Mari uh, um, something. Yeah, yeah, but but they they both were great in this film, and just pretty much everybody, even down to the uh, the guy who takes care of their house, who is always kind of on looking <laughs> from the outside. Yeah, 
Also, even the way that they actually make sure that the audience knows that they have a relationship with their cook, uh, Mafalda. You know, like mm-hmm. like the fact that I remember her name is a huge feat, just as far as the writing goes, because yeah. they like e- like even the way Oliver by the third or fourth day is able to go into the kitchen and tell her that he's not going to be there for dinner, which is like a character progression mm-hmm. in the slightest thing that nobody had to point out, but is is how I think definitely the script handles the. Way its characters move through time. Well, and the idea too of um, I like the I really liked the uh, the use of the term later throughout the yeah. film because we kind of have that as a joke early on. Is that's what Army Hammer tells uh, Elio's character is that you know when he's leaving, even if the conversation is over, he just says later, and then that that, that he's leaving that it's over. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because Elio tells his parents. You know, the last time you see him, he's just going to tell you later, and then that's going to be it. Kind of like he's going to do this very hurtful thing, but then we see the very end of their relationship when they're getting on the bus, and he hugs them, and then as he's walking, he just goes, well, later. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So, overall, uh, just finishing up my initial thoughts, I thought this was a a very well-done film, even though it's not the kind of film that I flock to, and even one that I will probably, you know, watch multiple times. I definitely can see myself watching this again. In fact, I might even seek it out because it's a very well done film. It's a very beautiful film. And it's also a very interesting story um, just because of its simplicity. I feel like it's, it's such a simple story, but yet I'm so interested to find out more about the characters. Like even like Marzia, the, the girl who, he kind of is into the other girl at first, but then she's into uh, Oliver and he's into her. So then he's kind of into her as like a pity thing, but really he wants to be with Oliver, but then he has sex with her and it's really awkward. And I love their uh, second sex scene actually, because the idea of them going into the attic after being in the pool, just like to get away where they have like a second to have sex was, it was very like, Oh boy, this is, totally not romantic like yep. they're fucking on some old dusty ass mattress yeah in this raggedy I was attic there was a nail somewhere <laughs> to be truth be told well that would have certainly been different yeah but a lot of moments even in that where at least that scene it was not selling as um elio was like doing this like because he didn't want to. Like, that was a very romantic sex scene. Yep. Um, But you have the nice turnaround is then him and Oliver have a sex scene and the infamous peach scene happens in the same pretty shitty area in their (laughs) attic. So um, just the whole way that the story progresses is is very interesting, especially after the first 40 minutes to an hour. And he eats the peach. Yeah, he didn't want him to. That no, was that does. was such an awkward moment because I great. I kind of laughed at it because it was being really yeah. really because there's really no proper reaction yeah, after yeah. that because you've got the the peach who we, we can even see is the audience that there is semen on it yeah. whatever and he just starts eating it and yeah. Elio starts you know telling him no and he's being a total asshole about it but and then he just starts bawling and it is just quite the moment yeah um, yeah. And that is really um, what this film does that is such a high thing in terms of hitting something that other films not necessarily don't do, but don't do as well. 
uh, is that this film really hits on what it is to be a 16, 17, 18-year-old person. Even if it wasn't with an older person like Oliver, I mean, the idea that we see these younger characters specifically with Elio, but also with uh, Mirza, um, like, it just sucks being that age. And even without the whole sexual aspect, like, still almost being treated like a kid when they're told to, like, play the piano and that shit. Yeah. I mean, like, that was just like a, like, that was like some, like... For their gay friends? <laughs> Remember that? that? Yeah, I do. I, I'm so unsure about that scene, because... Well, that was a little weird, because he talked about how the mom said some comment about how gay they are or something. Like, it was... Right. Yeah. It was, it was weird, because, like, on the one hand, I feel like it was a throwback to 1983 in some ways, of, like, how... We, no matter how wonderfully uh, fluid this movie is in general, it was still during a time period when that wasn't always, like, the most, I don't know. Acceptable? Yeah, you know, whatever. And so the idea that even the parents would at least make a little joke about their very, I mean, I don't know, it just felt like a... Well, I mean, the... the, It felt a little South Park, like Big A Al showed up or something. I mean, the... Because they're dressing their son up, like, that's what was... Yeah. Like, it was... It's not so well, much because that, that making... was a gift from them the previous year. Was it? Mm-hmm. Okay, I missed that line, so that actually makes a lot more... I thought they were literally just trying to dress him up to, like... <laughs> Have them feel more normal? Something like that, or that no, to, like, I mean, give them something to look at. I mean... But no, if that's, if that's what yeah. it was, which that totally makes sense. Um, I mean, the, the, makes... the two gay friends, like, legitimately walked in, like, Robin Williams and Nathan Lane yeah. in the birdcage. Yeah. Like it was, which came out in the eighties. Yep, <laughs> flamboyantly gay. Um, and and what? And what? <laughs> That's a good movie, by the way. Yeah, I don't mind it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I'm uh, saying I I don't really love it, but I yeah. Okay. Emmanuel Lubezki. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey that, that opening shot. Is I was going to say it's funny we joke about that, but technically, yeah, in an R-rated random comedy, you know, whatever, that that opening shot would be that sophisticated and wonderful. Like, oh yeah, Lubeski, <laughs> you rascal. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, um, but yeah, the, the the relationships between the characters, especially the teenage characters, and I. I mentioned something to you right after we saw this, Nick, that, that one of the reasons why I like this film as much as I did is I feel like I had not a, a similar experience because obviously it wasn't anything in the ballpark of what the characters went through in this film. You don't saw the shirt in your closet. Yeah. Um, but the first girl I ever kissed um, was a girl I met in Florida when I was on a vacation when I was 13 years old. Um, and we had a, you know, baby. Not quite. Uh, we had a, <laughs> a baby. Oh boy, we had a you know three day relationship, and she was three years older than I was, mm. which at the time I thought was not weird at all. But maybe no. now it would be weird. I don't know. Yeah. Um, You're both young. It's true. Um, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, yes. Yeah. Um, and it was just you know at the time when that ended, it was like the worst thing ever because it's the first girl ever, and it was a very fun and. I still look upon it as a very, you know, fondly as a very um, rewarding experience for the first time I ever was spending time with a female. If it was just kissing and hanging out and holding hands and whatever. I mean, it was, 
it was a moment of transitioning from being a child to working towards eventually being an adult. Um, and, and there's a lot of that in this film. Um, even though Elio is older, uh, there's still a huge coming-of-age storyline that happens throughout this film. Even though it's not the, like, bang you're still over coming your... coming of age when you're 17. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, but to be fair. It's true. Um, you're pr- if actually... anything, that's when you're coming of yeah. age. But... Um, it was definitely an interesting personal experience I had with this film that I, I really wasn't anticipating going in. Like I, I knew what this film was about, but I didn't think it was going to the bring way, back those memories the yeah. way it did. So I'm, um, you know, one more reason just to like this for sure. I, I gotta say that the, um, what do I want to say? The the whole love story, I think, is pitch perfect for one main reason, for I mean, a lot of sub-reasons, but also for one main thing, which is that I feel like the past couple of years we've gotten a pretty great, actually, uh, onslaught of coming-of-age stories, especially with a love component. Like, I think of, like, First Girl I Loved and a few others, maybe, like, the... It wasn't love, but The Edge of Seventeen, even though that's technically a, there was a love story. It's just a good movie. It's a good movie. But this was the first one in a little while where it was a great love story with, I thought, the right amount of heartbreak. Like, nothing about this movie after this love story unfolds yeah, there was no, is regrettable. There was no attempted rape scene in this movie. No, there, there's not that. Uh, but nothing yeah. about this love story story in this grand scheme of Elio's life is regrettable in any way. It just hurts in all the natural ways. And I thought that was great because I thought it would have been very, I don't know, easy to somehow make maybe make Oliver more of an asshole. But, you know, even as... That's not how life works, though. No, like, like, you want people to be villains so that way your pain can feel better. But at the end of the day, you're making your pain... And I say that as someone who does it to my own self, but, yeah. you know, you make your pain feel but worse. But you see, that's what makes the Michael Stolberg scene that much better. Yeah. Because... Let's talk about that. Yeah, because I, I the first thing we talked about coming out of the theater, and there was plenty to enjoy about this film, um, that scene was definitely, for me, the best part of the film, because um, there are multiple things to kind of unpack from that, whether it's... Both a father, first of all, more importantly than anything, it's the father that is doing it, not the mother. Mm-hmm. A father pretty much saying, I knew kind of all along that, you know, you guys had a very, he calls it, he doesn't, you know. Calls it a friendship. Calls it a special friendship. Yep. Um, but he pretty much says, I gathered that. And yep. um, that's, but he also then goes to say, to make sure that, he doesn't feel like that love shouldn't be there or to bury it because if you just bury it, you're never going to enjoy it. And two, you know, you may never find anybody you love that much. And then his line at the end, well, there's two lines. The one where he says that he doesn't think he ever found that person for him. Yeah. Which I will say for a child to hear that from a parent is probably not the greatest thing, but at the same time, it's just real. Like, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> like, it, it, it says a lot about how much he sold that monologue that I didn't come away from that going, oh, boy, <laughs> he should probably get divorced. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, he was just being honest about how the times changed. Yeah. And, yeah, which I think but, is but realistic. I thought, for me, by far the best line of the entire film is uh, when Elio asks him, um, does mom know? Yeah. And it's at least left somewhat ambiguous if he's asking about 
does mom know about him and Oliver or does mom know that he doesn't love her? Not that he doesn't love her, but he doesn't think well, that, that she, she is like that one, the greatest love of his life. Yeah. And he says, I don't think she does. Yeah. And we never know. Never will know right. what exactly. Was referring to. I mean, for me, it's pretty clear that he's talking about that. He loves his mother, you know, that she's his one great love or whatever. Yeah. But just that whole moment was just fantastic. I agree. Especially because when it started, I was like, Really into it, and then also really worried that it was going to go down a slope that I didn't want it to, which is I thought he was going to basically start saying, like, in explicit terms that he also was a closeted homosexual or something like that, where the more I went on and the more he just started talking about his love in general, I was like, oh, okay, he's just relaying his personal experience to the universal truth of, you know, and I thought that was great because for whatever reason, I I thought for a split second they was going to be like, I was gay like you too, son. You got the gay gene. (laughs) Um, And so I'm glad it didn't. You got a camp for that. Yeah. Um, But I agree about that entire thing. And what I love too is that everything in that speech is I don't think ambiguous up until that final part mm-hmm. what, what you were talking about because he's what I love is like it's ambiguous until he until it's not because he says your special friendship or whatever but even after all that he does say have I spoken out of turn which I thought was just an extremely endearing line like it just kind of made me go oh you're a great papa um, but he says that because he knows that Oliver knows what he's talking about yeah. when, it, when it comes to him and or no, Elliot. How, how about a father saying that about. to a child by the way like some of the way that yeah, parents are broken out of turn. Yeah, like, like parents are played like they get up and whip their children yeah. if they ask them to speak to them like that. Like yeah. they're just great parents. They they are, and it doesn't mean that they don't get mad at them or yeah. anything like that. Um, and I did love the, uh, and we do see that him and his father do have a pretty special relationship. Well, not like him and Oliver, but no, but they do have a pretty special relationship because the moment when. Um, uh, what is it? Um, Oliver gets up for breakfast on the very first morning and mm-hmm. comes to uh, breakfast. And <laughs> said that twice. And um, when they're all sitting at the table, and <laughs> I love that uh, Elio is like, "Yeah, I could have slept with uh, that whatever her name was, Marzia, Mirza, Mirza, yeah. Mirza uh, I don't know. girl last night." Well, why didn't she? <laughs> like his father would say that, and it's not until the mom goes, "What are you guys talking about?" And then, uh, the father just says something like random and boring, whatever. So it was like that Politics. kind of yeah, <laughs> but it was like that moment where he does toe his line between being a quote unquote rad dad. But at the end of the day, just one who just wants his son to feel as comfortable as possible. I like mean, he wasn't being... 19, 1980s, 17-year-old in Italy, like, he probably should have hit something by now. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, and it's also funny. He's introduced as a somewhat awkward virgin, right? And I love the idea that it's not until he meets Oliver that he basically is able to have sex with anybody because that's when he realizes that he wants something so bad that he'll not do anything for because he didn't coerce anybody. So, um, just asking yeah. your opinion on, on these characters. Do you think both these characters ended up marrying or being with females? Um, um, I, I definitely think Oliver did. Mm-hmm. I don't think... Elio did, I think, um, at least I'd like to hope, that he came into this at a much younger age than Oliver was able to, 
And so therefore, he might have the strength to, and coupled with his father's great monologue, not yeah. that that like changed him, but just as far as a note to end the movie Gave him on, confidence to yeah, be himself? That, exactly. That yeah. even if he never got married, that he didn't... I, I Okay, first of all, you know, clearly he's bisexual in some nature because he's not just having what I would call quote-unquote gay sex with a woman where like he... Like, there's no weird sexual cliches of, like, turning her around yeah, from behind. Or, he, he doesn't do and anything. And he does technically uh, come prematurely yeah. um, on their first, which is a very normal, whether you're hetero or homosexual. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he's very much, uh, you know, they say sexuality is a spectrum to begin with, and I agree with that. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's probably bisexual, leaning towards uh, homosexual. But... I don't think he, I think if he met another, I don't think he would think he'll ever want to with uh, Marzia again. But mm-hmm. I think if he met another Marzia, he would absolutely, and not because he'd be repressing anything, but because he's able to kind of just latch on to human relationships Well, it's interesting, better. though, because you have her character, which, um, the idea that she comes back and almost apologizes to him yeah. is, is really kind of fucked up. Yeah. Uh, and that was actually one of the things about the film that I actually didn't really care for that much. I didn't um, see it as an apology. I think it was more of a passage of time. Which is okay, but yeah. it was just it, the whole, the way it played out that the last time we saw her was her riding a Ray crying. And the next time we see her is him, her walking up to him. I didn't love it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I mean, we get the feeling that, either she's going to be there either through their family because we see her doesn't she go back with her parents to like dinner that, that was night? the friend of oliver's not... are you sure i thought it no was... she has the line where she says the mother says to bring me yeah up. she said bring her hmm? oh, yeah so i'm not saying that doesn't happen but she wasn't hanging around the house okay well no. she was just look um here's what i think about okay. that scene where she reconnects with elio um I think that was a very true-to-life scene in the sense that it was the 80s, so I feel like she got a whiff of the fact that Elio and Oliver was a thing, mm-hmm. and she overcompensated for it. Okay. So she was like, oh, my God, I didn't realize you were gay with a capital G, and I am sorry. Like, like I know she didn't say those words, but I felt like that's... Boy, that would have been some if she did. <laughs> <laughs> well, she said it in Italian. She's best why she didn't say those words. <laughs> no, but... um, uh. I, it's, even though she doesn't say that explicitly, I feel like that's what she was aiming for. Like, oh, I like clearly, you know, like what we had was okay, but what you had with a, which is that's where the heartbreak comes in. I think for Elia, which is to say that I think he does realize that as much as he loves Oliver in that moment and probably forever, that he like he can very much close himself off now to other people if he's not too careful if he lets this define. Mm-hmm. everything moving forward both as a fling that he had but also as a sexuality that doesn't need to be nailed down yeah so so if yeah. we're going to go to ratings which i am and i'll start um i think this film overcame a lot of uh you know overcame my feelings on just independent film slash boring character studies that aren't necessarily always my thing. Um, but I'll I th- say this. Oh, go ahead. Really quick. Because mm-hmm. you said independent. It's kind of one of the few, quote-unquote, independent movies that never really felt like an independent movie. Like, obviously, this is the type of movie that is, quote-unquote, independent. But with that cinematography and this cast, this felt like a pristine 
prestige gay melodrama uh for me at least like i i never got a like kind of mumblecore aspect to this where uh it was like it, it was clearly all writerly like nothing was like improvised and every moment was very uh i thought blocked for the camera so as much as the trailers may make it seem like it could be a twee uh there was something about this love it or hate it uh that felt extremely tightly controlled hmm. anyway okay it was random at any rate, um, <laughs> uh, this is definitely not in my bag on on the on the first pass, seeing the trailer, reading the story, whatever. Um, but this film definitely won me over. This is a, a fantastic coming of age story, which really uh, the characters feel very progressive throughout this, which is a great thing to see, especially in this very awful political climate that we currently live in, uh, that is seemingly wanting to go backwards. Uh, this this whole story, the the view of the film, the opening credits, the closing credits, the just the the idea of the father just being in love with these statues and finding them in the water and, and the whole thing, uh, and then we have the relationships and the, between the parents and the kids and their their love interests and uh, the whole progression of this film from start to finish, but especially through the second and third act are just fantastic. Um, and, and there are just great performances top to bottom here. I mean, Timothy Chalamet, Army Hammer, Michael Stolberg, uh, Amira Cesar and Esther Garel, uh, all of them. And those are really the main characters that are in this, uh, those five people. And I thought all of them were just completely fantastic in this film and played their character and, really made their character become a real person on, on the screen. And it was just fantastic. So I don't give this a like overwhelming rating, but for a film that I wasn't that crazy about, I still get it with a three and a half out of five. And I think it was definitely a wonderful film that uh, deserves pretty much all the praise it's gotten so far. So I'll move on to Nick. Thank you. I obviously absolutely loved it. I thought, as you just touched on, that between the casting and the performances in this movie, like that's pretty much what sold the entire thing. Like there are so many other good parts of it, like the score, which I thought was fantastic, um, and the cinematography, which was like <sighs> paired with the grain of the actual film stock and the wonderful lush lo locales. Uh, it's hard to beat anyway, but even without that, it would have been a great film to look at just because of the way I thought some of the shots were filmed whether it's just the wonderful use of space inside the house like uh the fact that the two uh the two guys share like okay so they're in separate rooms but they share a private room together which I thought was wonderful you know because they're connected by their bathroom and the main room was Elio's room yeah. and he was pretty much displaced from it yes. yeah. and so but the way that they can shoot in and out of each room where you can you're in one room but you can always see into another room is wonderfully uh coherent in how it distilled this message of you know not being able to be confined to one realm and how about the when i don't know if it was shame necessarily but the day after they have their first oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, time tryst and they go swimming then early in the morning and come back in and Elio is trying to like stay separate from him so he goes in his 
bedroom door separately, yeah. but then we see them like walking by each other by the same. It was just well, and uh, Oliver basically teases him and starts mm-hmm. a blowjob, and then yep. doesn't finish it and closes the door, <laughs> which I thought was great because that felt very much like something he would do, mm-hmm. like. Like, oh, this puppy's going to follow me now. Like, let's test this theory, you know. And then when he realized that, like, yeah, it's not just because he's Oliver. It's because he has a genuine affection for him. Like, I thought, yeah, that that whole thing was great. Yep. Um, But, yeah, overall, it's just fantastic. I give it four out of five stars with basically a potential for it to grow in my eyes because I just want to see it again already. So uh, I thought it was fantastic. And it's just I think the thing that it comes down to is one of the strongest ensembles I've seen in in quite some time, where like every single person was casted perfectly. So, uh, yeah, four out of five. Good stuff. Uh, so coming up next week, it'll probably just be me and uh, Sir Nicholas again. Yeah, which, which is okay. I was just knighted. Yes, in the course of this episode. Yeah, it was it was really you know doesn't happen like that usually. So no, but I know people. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so the next uh, film we're going to talk about is actually one of my favorite films of all time. It's in my all-time top ten. Um, it's a fantastic gangster action drama. Black uh, Mass. We're going to revisit oh, it. Boy. Make sure that... I'm sorry. Whitey Bulger. <laughs> Big time. Uh, no, but this is one of the better Michael Mann films of all time, and that is the very... They're all great of all time movies. Well, that's... every single one of them, even the ones I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> He's made some not as good ones. Uh, but 1995's Heat, which is a very lengthy film, but pretty much is worth it. Um, I absolutely adore the film. I think it's fantastic. Uh, it's really the first time that Al Pacino and Robert De Niro are teamed up as they were both in Godfather Part 2, but they have no scenes together as they're in different timelines. Um, but here we have the really collection of them at the height of their powers. I mean, this was prime time for Pacino and pretty much for De Niro, although this was probably towards the end of that for him. Um, but in addition to them, you have other people like Tom Sizemore, who's perfectly cast in this. Yeah. John Voight, Val Kilmer, uh, Ashley Judd. I mean, this this has got... Natalie Portman. Natalie... Oh, I forgot about... What a yeah. role. Yeah. Um, and By the way, the second time I watched this movie, mm-hmm. this will be the third, but the second time I watched this movie, I really came around on the Natalie Portman uh, storyline. Okay. So we'll have a lot to talk about we, about that random we will, side plot. We, we will have some to talk about about it because... It really just goes off in a much different place than... Um, it does. Yeah. But anyways, if you haven't seen it uh, and you're interested in our next episode here, it, it is a very entertaining um, film that doesn't necessarily, especially if you're watching it now for the first time in 2018, uh, doesn't necessarily do anything that you would say is like, oh, I've, I haven't seen that before. But at the same time... Better. It does so many things well. And um, the idea that Christopher Nolan sat the entire uh, cast of The Dark Knight down to watch this film before they started filming probably tells you some things about this film. Yeah. And certain aspects of it. Like that he's uh, hitting out of his range. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, but there, there's a lot of great things about this film. And uh, we're going to get into some of them in probably, honestly, because I am such a huge fan of this. Probably some of the more small details that nobody needs to spend time talking about. But we're going to. Let's do it. Yeah. Bring so, your book. Don't you yeah. have a, didn't I give you a book? For about Christmas? Or what film did I give it to you for? I gave you and Tucson a book on your favorite film, part of the BFI Film Archives uh, book, uh, Essays. I gave Tucson, Akira, and okay. I thought I gave you Heat. I'll have to look at that. Maybe. Oh, so I guess you never even looked at it. I'm sure I did. You son of a bad okay. mistake. But no, buddy. seriously, if you could bring that, I'd be kind of curious to flip through it since we'll be watching it okay. like that day. Cool. So yeah, not necessarily about the book, but we will be talking about that film coming up next week. Um, try to find us sometime, maybe this year we're going to try, but we've said that before and that doesn't mean anything, uh, to be on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at yeah. Film Tank Show a little New more. New Year's resolution. A little better presence this year. We're going to try. It was either lose weight or that, and this is much easier. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, so, and again, as always, you can try to email us and, uh, if you want your thoughts known on really anything. I'll say this. I still check email. Do you? So we haven't gotten any email. I don't know if I should say that out loud, but uh, we haven't been slacking on that. Yeah. If you if if you send us an email, we will probably talk about we it. Sure so will. That's, yeah. Uh, Filmtankshow at gmail.com is the spot for that. From Nick Cheney, myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much for catching up with us here at Film Tank, and we will catch up with you next time. 